So that's very rational, those kind of two rational things. Emotionally, it's with this culture of busy. I'm so busy, I'm, I'm, I'm working all the time, or I'm on emails, or I'm in meetings, or am I needed? And I really almost had, I, for a while, I had that feeling of like, why isn't my phone bing, pinging? Why, isn't, why aren't they texting me? That, that, am I needed? Am I still valuable? If I'm not being productive, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have incredible people in my life and a friend who reached out to me and I said, I just don't, I'm worried. I'm just like not being productive. And she said, what do you mean you're not being productive? She goes, you're being productive as a human. You are living, you are breathing, you are walking, you are meditating, you are swimming, you're doing yoga, you're traveling to places you've never been before. You're baking cookies for your kids. Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In the last couple of episodes, we featured Harry Duran, first as a guest, and then we shared an episode from his show, Podcast Junkies, where he interviewed me. Today, we're going to talk about creative leadership and the importance of taking pauses to reset. Our guest, Jim Bethany, had an amazing career. She started as a designer in an advertising agency, and in her last role, she was chief creative officer at Walmart, with stops along the way in many significant senior executive creative roles at agencies as well as at Disney. Then, a few months ago, she decided it was time to take a pause. When she stepped down from her role at Walmart, she did it very publicly with a beautiful LinkedIn post. I particularly love this passage from it. Like so many, my perspective has shifted. Our time on this planet is finite. Life is too short not to leave, love and love big, to thrive rather than just survive. As you can tell, it's very appropriate for the times. So I invited her on the podcast to talk about her decision, what it takes to take a pause like that and announce it publicly, and what may keep more people from doing the same thing. Of course, we also talked about what it takes to go from being a creative doer in an agency to being a C-suite leader in a major corporation, and how you navigate not one, but two difficult transitions, from doer to leader and from agency to brand. So, it's a really rich episode. Enjoy. Gene, welcome to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. Um, why don't we start and have you introduce yourself to my listeners, a little bit of what you're doing now and your, you know, how you got here. Sure. Thank you for having me. What I'm doing right now is I like to describe it as I'm between successes. So I was most recently the chief creative officer at Walmart. Prior to that, I was headed up creative at the internal agency at Disney for Disney Parks and Experience and Products. My background before going brand side was creative agency side. So I started as a creative in agencies. I'm a New Yorker and started in agencies in New York and traveled across to Chicago and then made my way brand side to LA to work at Disney. And then I was remote at Walmart. And right now I'm embracing the art of the pause. I am giving myself permission to rest, to reset, to strategize on what's next in this next chapter of my life. And really focusing on two things, purpose and peace where I can have the most impact and in, in purpose for brands with, through creativity and where I can protect my peace and make sure I'm a human being, not just a human doing. 
That's fabulous. And I think this is a great place to start because the reason why I asked you on your podcast is that you were very public about your decision to take a sort of reset pause. And that's something that uh, not everybody who has reached the stage of your career is comfortable saying, oh, I'm just taking time off because there's sort of this pressure of right, right. So how did you come to the decision of take the pause? And then how was it that you decided to actually be so public uh, about it? And what went into that decision? I decided after leaving Walmart that I didn't want to jump right back into another intense fortune. I mean, Walmart's fortune one, Disney's fortune, you know, 50, fortune 10, another high pressure corporate role before really getting my bearings and thinking about what I wanted. Coming out of COVID, tough time for everybody. I think there's been a lot of learning. I had a tough couple of years, the tough year. Um, my father had died after, you know, 14 months in hospice and five years of basically being wheelchair and bed bound. So we knew it was coming, but I think that, you know, when you lose a parent, it, it adds a lens of what a finite time we have on this planet. Both my sister and my sister-in-law were diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I think, again, you worry about health and wellness and the stress factors along with that and living. My sweet little dog died. My marriage ended. And so I was kind of found myself in this time of like, wait a minute, a lot of, a lot of impact, a lot of things happening. And I think from my career trajectory, it was, and I think for many, it's the same thing. It's like, what's the next thing? Right. I got this job. What's the next promotion? What's the next level of leadership? What's going from agency to agency, account to account, and brand side, client to client? And I was really intentional about my aspirations of getting to the C-suite, of being a chief creative officer. That was very important to me, both for um, a personal achievement and also a professional and also for, for, you know, I'm very involved in gender equity and diversity issues and um, movement. And so the more women in these roles, the more women in these roles, the more diversity in these roles, it's really important to, to be out there. So I think having reached that and done that, and then all of a sudden going, okay, is this not, is this all there is, but what's really important in life? And what is this next chapter of my life? And how long will I be on this planet? So where can I have the most impact? And how can I do it on my terms? Get off the hamster wheel to a certain extent. I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time. I'm in the business for over 30 years. And the only pauses that I've taken were to have two children. And as you know, if you have kids, you know, it's not a, it's not a vacation to take a maternity leave and then go back to work with little ones. So I gave myself the permission to take that break. And I was very intentional about it. And it was a little bit scary, that leap of like, because if I stop, what happens if I stop? Will I stay relevant? Will I still be marketable? You know, in advertising, you're, you're, you're only as, as good as your last campaign and your less creative award. But at the same time, I felt that and that I deserved it and I needed it. And it was okay. What's the and what's the worst thing that could happen? And see what happened. And also, you know, the privilege of being able to take that pause, obviously, I want to acknowledge that. 
Um, and then why did I go public with it? Because a lot of people were reaching out to me and saying, you know, will you judge this award show? Will you speak on this panel? Will you write this piece? And I wanted to be very clear that I was now no longer with Walmart. And I was going out there and I thought about, you can change your LinkedIn status, you can change your post. But I sat down and I was very intentional about writing about it because I felt, to your point, not many people talk about it. And the more people I did talk about it, the more there was a lot of consensus is, I am so tired. I am so burnt out. I am don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So I thoughtfully wrote it and I published it. And I can't even tell you how many people. I was surprised at the traction that it got. You know, you reached out to me, as many did. Thank you for that. So many people, in addition to what was on my LinkedIn page, reached out to me via email, text, messaging, what have different platforms to say, I feel the same exact way. And so how, if we don't talk about these things as authentic leaders and, you know, kind of show up real, real, then we all have to put a brave face on and fake it till we make it and till we're like exhausted. And I think it's probably better and healthier if we talk about, I'm tagging out for a little bit. I agree a hundred percent. By the way, I tagged out for about eight years. So I, in 2012, when my son started high school, my wife is a professional tour musician. I decided to leave my regular job and just work half time uh, as an independent marketing consultant and spend the rest of the time managing my wife and sort of being with my kids until they left for college. So I completely understand the feeling. So you've had this reaction from everybody, you know, because you came to this step, obviously, after a lot of stress in your life from external circumstances. What do you think is keeping somebody who may feeling that it may be the right time to do it, but has not come to the breaking point from doing it? And what are some ways, some things that you can share about your experience that may make it easier for other people to do something similar? I think there's some really rational and some really emotional things that keep us from stopping. Rational is, can I pay my bills? Can I take care of my family? I'm, you know, single mom. My kids are, are, are adults now, 20 and 23, but they still need you, right? Especially your checkbook. And can I take care of my family? Can I live in, live in the way that feels that I've been used to or evolve it? And will I be deemed as viable or still strong or top of my game, right? You know, there's a lot of conversations and work that's been done on, on the resume gap, right? Whether it be mothers who take time off, and I commend you for taking time off to be with your kids. And that's fantastic. And they need us in different ways at different stages in their lives. And you have to make decisions as, as, as parents, like, where is it going to give? So that's very rational, those kind of two rational things. Emotionally, I think it's with this culture of busy and productivity, like, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm, I'm working all the time or I'm on emails or I'm in meetings or am I needed? And I really almost had, I, for a while, I had that feeling of like, why isn't my phone bing, pinging? Why isn't, why aren't they texting me that, that am I needed? Am I still valuable if I'm not being productive? And it was, you know, I'm very, very lucky to have incredible people in my life and my personal board of directors and a friend who reached out to me and I said, I just don't, I'm worried. I'm just like not being productive. And she said, what do you mean you're not being productive? She goes, you're being productive as a human. You are, you know, you are living, you are breathing, you are walking, you are meditating, you are swimming, you're doing yoga, you're traveling to places you've never been before. You're baking cookies for your kids. And that kind of feeling of like, 
where does my value come from? And I think we, we definitely live in this culture of like, you know, you are what you do. And I think it's an interesting, we're in an existential, many of us, many people are in an existential time. Yours came earlier, it sounds like. But COVID forced a lot of us into the space of like, especially I think about the parent that takes on most of the childcare responsibilities. And sometimes it's 50-50 and sometimes things are one, but a lot of the work tends to land on moms um, traditionally. And it's, it's tough. And then companies are going back to work. You've got to have butts and seats be in the office. How are you going to do that since you've been home? You've gained all this time from not driving to work or commuting or like that flexibility of I can be where I want to be and still be, be productive. The earth doesn't stop. Right. I think we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable with the status quo and what external validation can give us versus what we feel inside. And I'm honestly like I feel like a poster child for feeling my best at I just turned 57. I feel physically, mentally and spiritually the healthiest I have in a very, very long time. And trying to figure out ways to make that sustainable. So as soon as I go back to or evolve into whatever's next, I don't lose that perspective on how important sleep is on how important nature is on meditation is and breathing is and pausing and resting. We don't rest. We don't rest very well. That's all completely true. You said something interestingly that was kind of my next question. You mentioned external validation. Um, you said earlier that, you know, you had an objective of making it to the sea level. Did you have a sense as you were progressing through your career of how much your objectives were internally driven? How much were they externally driven? And was there a shift along your career where maybe you were more internally driven? And has that affected your choices? I think it's definitely been both, right? And I think when I think back to where I started career-wise. I never expected to be where I am. I, I, didn't, I wasn't a kid sitting at, at the kitchen table thinking about the boardroom table. I was a creative kid. I was a, a rebel. I was more often in trouble than not. I studied a design. I wanted to be you know, a designer. I love this idea of design. And in my head, success was, oh, I'm going to be sitting in a design studio. I have my own design studio and it's the kind of party of one and I get to solve these problems. And, and then that evolved into an opportunity to go into advertising and be an art director. And then I, and I was resistant to that because I thought advertising was selling your soul. Honestly, that's what I, that I really felt like. I'm, why do I want to sell people things I don't need? Design is a much more of a purest thing. So this idea of singular versus you go into advertising and it's, so collaborative. And I just got lit up from the collaboration, the people, the input, different different disciplines and, and creativity in so many different ways. And that was really exciting to me. And then it started to become this, what's the next thing? Okay, I'm an art director, but I, you know, it, when you're in an agency, you're doing things like, well, you, 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 obviously you're a doer and a maker. And then you see the people at the top making the decisions and you kind of go, like I, I want to be the one who makes the decisions I, or who's driving the culture of an agency, who's setting the tone for the creative vision and for the talent and for the expression of it and how, how we work and live. So I would say it, it was very much an internal drive to be like, 
I want to do that. And then, it, then as I got to a place where I, I realized how hard it was, I, you know, a woman in this business as a creative, there are few female, there were, you know, again, I started, I've been in this business for 30 plus years, few women in creative, even fewer as creative leaders. So when I like looked around and I didn't see a lot of other women trying to lead creative and you kind of figure out why, and then there's an external part of it, internal and external is like, we need to do this for the greater good, right? Like we, th- we can change how these, that how this runs and we can change who's sitting at the table and making the decisions. And I think there was that do it for myself, do it for the industry and the people around me. And then I think there's also a little bit of that ego component of it is like, am I good enough? Can I do this? This kid who was kind of, look, I made it kind of thing for my, and it's funny, you know, you think about my, my dad was a doctor, my mom a nurse, and, and I don't, they couldn't even describe what I did. Like if I overheard them think about what, but them being proud of me meant a lot. In this whole conversation, you seem to be like a step ahead of my next question, because one of the most difficult transitions, I think, in the agency world is going from, as you said, you know, I was a doer and then I wanted to make the decision. But on the creative side, especially, sometimes the two skill sets are not necessarily complementary. And it's very hard to go from being the person that has the ideas to the person who is coaching people how to make ideas. And then if you're running, if you're a chief creative officer, you have a lot of people working for you. So as you made that transition, what were some of the aspirations that you had about the type of creative leader that you wanted to be? And then the expectation for sort of the people that were leading under you? I think we learn from our best and our worst bosses, right? And what we want to do versus what we don't want to do and what we don't want to replicate. There's a big gap in the evolution of being a creative to being a creative maker to leading creatives and leading the creative process. And I think it's something there's an opportunity that people are always looking for more education and training in it. I think there is an instinctual component of can I step back from the work and not have to do it myself and not have to have my hands in it and, and my mark on it and do it my way versus there's many ways to solve a creative. Those are what the beauty of creativity is it's, it's unique ways of solving a problem. And so being able to, to stand back and encourage ideas and inspire ideas and, and recognize ideas and protect ideas and creative people in the process and build that you know i think about sometimes i think about creativity and creative teams as childlike play and fun right and so if you think about creating an environment where they're safe to play and that that you kind of encourage those ideas to come out and encourage people to fail like children and i think that there's something that i learned as being a mom and being a leader it's very similar you know that, that childlike spirit encouraging that innovative thought and unique thought and where, where are you going to go with it? And, and I think also there's something about, again, the creative world that I grew up in that was very guys, guy, boys club, 
don't be a delicate flower, ruthless on ideas, killing um, spirits and fear, managing the creativity through fear and scarcity. And what I saw an opportunity to show up more is my, my, I can play the, I can play in the guy's guy world, come from New York, parents are from Queens. I can tough it out with the rest of them. At the same time, when I show up as my authentic self, as a listener and an empath and a collaborator and a, an encourager of creativity and context and helping grow talent as opposed to be threatened by talent, helping spark ideas and inspiration versus taking the best assignments. And that's, that's probably the toughest part is being able to not go deep, to let go, understand that people are going to do it their way and encourage that. And I still, to this day, one of my favorite parts about being a creative leader is I get high off of ideas, physically high. I feel a physical high when they're, that's why I used to love new business pitches and people come with new ideas and you're like that, recognizing that idea. And it's funny because I'm sober. I, you know, I have, I stopped drinking about a little over two years ago, but there's that sensation and that feeling of like, with more ideas, please. And so that to me is an exciting part about being a creative leader is you're connected to all the great ideas and you bring, you can, you, you look for talent, you encourage talent, you grow talent. And there's a component of what I believe in leadership is servant leadership. And I think it's something, it's not something I got on the, on the agency side. It's much more the brand side. Disney was big on it. Walmart was big on it. And really as a leader of people, whether they be creative or not, I am there to help you succeed on your and help you grow. And so what do I need to do to do that? And what do you need from me? And what do I need from you? I had a great coach who talked about what are the conditions of satisfaction, right? What do we need from each other to make this successful? Still ahead of me, because you talked about the differences of being in agency and being in brand. And my next question was around how does your agency experience translate to brand? What were some of the challenges and what were some of the things that you liked? Because having been on both sides myself, I know that it's also not an easy or not always a fun transition. Yeah. So you're trilingual then. You speak multiple languages and you speak brand and agency or polyglot. Yeah, it was, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And I think one of the personal traits that drives me forward and also gets me in trouble is I have this sense of how hard could it be, right? And I, I'm going to start with what I think was, was helpful in speaking agency and knowing how creative agencies work, knowing how to take a, take a business problem and really think about the consumer and the, the creative strategy designed to solve a problem from the consumer lens, not the business lens, and how ideas are made, right? From creative strategy to ideation to development to all the different platforms it can live on. When I went brand side, the strengths that I had from agency side helped us build more capabilities inside. And so I've only been, you know, at two Disney and Walmart, but both the internal creative age, creative team is more, has been more creative services. And so creative services, meaning what it's iterative from what the agency partners do from a big brand or campaign idea, a lot of asset making, a lot of boots on the ground, hands, craft, 
we need content, we need assets. My mission and also my vision and why I think I've been brought into both places was how do we look at net? Because the paradigm is shifting, right? Because of all the channels, and this is not a new story, all the content that's needed, all of the, you know, it's not just do a traditional campaign, pull 10 assets out of it, and you've got it. It's hundreds. It's, you know, fill all the channels, owned, earned, and paid, and shared. And so brands are getting smart too. We need to have those capabilities internally because we're spending a fortune. And who knows our brand better than our people? And what's the pipeline that can make it even faster? So taking those idea, create a strategy and idea building and developing and producing capabilities and bringing them brand side to help elevate and evolve and grow the internal capabilities was something that was really hugely beneficial from the agency side. Now, on the opposite side of that difficulty was, I think, agency side, it's creativity at all costs. The best creative product wins the day, wins the pitch, wins the account, wins the awards, which wins the new clients, which win you know, all of it, and wins the talent. And so it really wasn't all that much of a concern as far as just get the best creative you can. Don't worry about the bodies you leave behind. Brand side, very much, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it. And it is that component of growing your people, of building relationships, of gaining allies and consensus. And you've got a whole lot more disciplines and categories and and silos, honestly, to pull together behind an idea. And you start to realize why it was so hard to sell great work on the agency side. So there's that component, but there's also creativity can be seen as very indulgent brand side. So if you think about creative for creative sake or pushing for awards, no, we're here in service to the business. We're in the business. So I think about it more as the business of creativity. So ultimately, creativity to win hearts, minds, spirits, and wallets. And thus, anything that's deemed and not in service to the marketing brief or the marketing strategy or the brand strategy is seen as indulgent. So it's there's an education process on both the creative team side and the and the marketing teams and other partners why creativity is important why we're not just going to we used to call it like a you know it's not like a fast food window order up here get, we want these tactics or these assets or this content is very prescriptive more we're going to solve this creatively together part of it is are we asking the right questions is the right brief so again it's you can't just go from zero to 60, you have to take people along on the journey. And so here's what you asked for. What if we thought about it this way? So, and, you know, why are awards important? Why is it important to get, to keep talent internally and to get the best talent that we can? And then I think the third thing is on that side is like, I had no idea the volume that I was going to be dealing with. I was very naive as far as this idea of being brand side, it's not just looking at that one sliver of the pie. It's, you know, the brand, the brand positioning, the brand vision and, and purpose and expression and voice and visual identity. So, and it's, and as I mentioned, all those owned, earned, paid channels, it's so much. So you are now in it everywhere and it can be overwhelming. So one aspect that I'm interested in is 
as you walk into a brand, especially a brand the scale of a Disney or a Walmart, as a chief creative officer, whereas in the agency, most of the time, the most business person you had to deal with on the other side was the CMO, maybe some head of sales or whatever. Now, all of a sudden, when you're inside the company as the chief creative officer, you are talking to a much more diverse set of constituents. Again, a lot of learning. I think that you start to probably, I probably made a lot of mistakes and learned from that and got advice from people. I don't think at Walmart in particular, I can remember on like, you know, they do an extensive onboarding, officer onboarding, and I was meeting a lot of people across different disciplines. And I had someone just say to say right to my face, she goes, I have no idea what you do. I said, okay, well, let's talk about it. What I think I do, what I'm here for. So since they had never had a chief creative officer name, they had never had a creative person who led the creative organization. And it was always a marketing person or a media person or, or, you know, there's a lot of what I've found in big corporations. When you get to that high executive level, an officer, an executive, the skills are interchangeable, right? If someone's in this, we can put, they're a strong leader, we can put them here, they're an SVP or a VP, you know, creative is different as we know, because it's, you know, there's, idea, you have to have the ideation and imagination, you have to have the craft and actually know the craft and how things get made and done. And to build a creative culture is massive. So I think it was a lot of conversations and it was a lot of frustration and a lot of different people. I think that one of the biggest challenges is ultimately the chief creative officer of a brand is guiding the keeper of the brand, create the creative expression of the brand because there's brand strategy. There's also corporate communications. There's internal communications. And for me, it's a very inside outside story, right? So we want to make sure we're all aligned to the brand mission and vision and the brand. And the, and so we're pointing in the right direction. And we're also looking at the why. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's, just the simplest thing to go to is like, why are we getting up every day? Why should consumers care? What are we here for? How are we rallying and, and making that part of the whole customer experience? So the challenge, that wasn't even part of, of my domain. That was more co- corporate communications and the video communications team. And, and it was a lot of like, you know, are, are we all on the same side? Like we do this. Thank you so much. And so a lot of, and I think a lot of times in corporate cultures, it's politeness. You know, you see a lot of politeness and people smile and say, yeah, absolutely. And then things go on. And I think a, a company of that size, it's very difficult to slow down and to align and to gain traction, to move forward together. And, and there's so many tentacles, right? So I think my answer is, I did my best and uh, it was very difficult, but a lot of, again, a lot of learning. I do think, you know, when you go into both Disney and Walmart, I think the message I learned loud and clear is it's all about relationships and allies. And you want to make sure you have relationships with people that you need on your side to get ideas through and to disrupt internally and advocacy in the room and out of the room. And, I think that's it's a good learning for agency side too, because that's a, it's all about trust. Why should you trust? We're going to try to do things differently. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm, you know, the the feeling proceeds. I, I want us to slow down so we could speed up. 
isn't always popular, gain front end alignment. And creativity at the speed of retail is easier said than done. I want to close the conversation, the sort of the professional part of the conversation, by going a little bit back to you know your decision to reset and sort of in a broader sense, as you progress through your career, how has your personal definition of success changed? Massively, right? I think if you had asked me that question a few years ago, I would have said the ultimate success is getting a chief creative officer role in, and, and being in that leadership position to guide and to grow. And I think, you know, my personal view of success was I want to wake up with a view of the ocean. That, that to me is like, that will bring me peace and joy um, and to have those two things together and to have my children grow up independent, healthy, happy. Now, coming out of the last couple of years, to me, and, and I, think, I think a lot of it was very much affected by my father passing away. And having a parent die, I think, makes you realize, even in, you know, at 57, 56, that we're here for a finite time. And our kids are growing really fast and life is passing us by and is working yourself to, dare I say, to death, the success. And, and you know, you see all these maybe somewhat corny statements of like people on their deathbed never say, I wish I worked more. I want to make sure I'm not just making a living, but I'm living. And what brings me joy and what brings me, makes me feel as like I'm in flow and creative flow and make an impact. And so I think for me, while I'm in the business of creativity, I also like this idea of being in the business of purpose and the business of freedom. And so success is being free, is time and health. What you said just sparked a couple of things out. We're actually in a very similar point of life. I'm turning 58 in October. I lost my mom last year. But one thing that I've observed is, you know, I had a couple of moments in my career at 30, 35, 40, where I felt that I needed to make a major shift, but it was too late. You know, that I had wasted all this time. And in a very paradoxical way, it's only now that I feel I still had ahead of me the time to do the things that I really want to do. And I just was wondering, have you ever had similar thoughts or am I crazy? (laughs) No, you're not crazy. You're definitely not crazy. And happy 58th, a little early. No, I think, you know, we get into these tracks. And I think for some reason, I have had this, what's the worst thing that could happen attitude. Um, I guess it's there's a little bit of a, the fearless rebel in me, probably an unsafe relationship with danger. But I do feel like, well, first of all, we live in a very ageist society. Let's just say that, right? And so success is for the young, advertising success is for the young. Like I can remember being in Chicago and turning 50 and having peers say, you can't say you're 50 out loud. And I'm like, why not? Well, because that's 
they'll know, then they'll know how old you are. We, you kind of like have to give this impression, this youthful exuberance, this hipness, this whatever. I'm like, I don't think that has anything to do with my age. You know, I stay very culturally relevant. I think my kids help me do that. And I'm forever curious. And I think there's this hitting our stride. Like I'm, I'm not going to, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not going to retire. Like, I don't think we live in a world where I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to be 65 and then I'm going to retire. And then I'm going to kind of sit in a, in a lawn chair for a while. I don't think I'll ever fully retire because I love what I do. I think the fact that what I do has evolved. I used to be pure creative, right? And then going brand side and becoming more of a brand leader, more business of creativity. So that's a career evolution. And now it's sort of like, even when we think about, you know, a creative strategy, I'm working on my own creative strategy, my own brief. And if my purpose is to use creativity to make the world a better place. That doesn't have to just be marketing. That could be you use the power of creativity anywhere. And so that idea of expansive thinking, I think, opens a world of possibilities. It's it's scary at this, you know, it can be scary. And um, I think since I've moved to LA, I've gotten a little woo-woo. So, you know, I'm very much into meditation. I had an executive coach who, you know, got me into meditation years ago. And so this idea of manifestation, intention and manifestation and manifesting abundance and imagining what you want to happen. And I think it's the power of positive thinking. So anything can happen. What you just said is really interesting. I was just listening to an interview between Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell on the Broken Record podcast. And they were talking about this statement that Rick Rubin makes in his book, which uh, he just wrote a book on creativity, which is... That book is sitting under my microphone right now, so my microphone is high enough. He says, the most important thing is the power of belief, is believing in something, and it doesn't have to be true. It's really, he really talks about the idea of, you know, if the fact that something isn't true now doesn't mean that it cannot be true down the road and you have, and you have to believe. So, well, and you think, and you go back to, like, I, I love, I've been listening to a lot of Rick. He's, it feels like he's, because the book is out, he's on a lot of podcasts and he's quite a spiritual guy. I do think this idea of the power of creativity and, and when you're, doing creative or leading creative, you have to believe in an idea more than anyone else to make sure it gets done. And it's almost like that, like if you show fear or doubt, they're going to chip away at it. It's very much a leadership, a leadership aspect too, right? Like this is where we're going. We may not be there, but this is where we're going and get on board and come with me. It's going to be amazing. And really, it almost gets political. Like if you think about the really good or really evil, depending on how you think about it, politicians that simplify things and set a, a simple vision, mission, mantra, and keep people on board. And so very much as a creative, as a leader, as a creative leader, and as a protector of creative ideas. And then you take it to the personal of, I can see it. I can see it. And I think there's massive power in positivity. And this idea of sending positive thoughts out, positive comes back. And when we're negative, negative comes back. We mirror. For years, it sounded like mumbo jumbo to me. But the more I study it and the more I practice it, whether it's gratitude or positivity, it just keeps coming back. 
That is just beautiful. Normally at the stage of the conversation, I ask my guest if there's a place where people can find them. I know you're on LinkedIn. Is there any other place you'd want people to come look for you? Or are you actually still in hiding and don't want to be found? No, I am. I'm coming up for air. I've done a really good job. I'm proud of myself for sticking to my commit, personal commitment to, to go off the grid and to give myself that time. But I am coming. I'm not in a rush. I have the privilege of time, this gift of time, but I am having conversations. And my favorite thing is connecting with other humans and collaborating. So LinkedIn is probably the best way to get me right now. I do have a couple of things brewing. So more to come. Great. So now we go to the personal part of the conversation. And the first question is, what is a hobby or an interest or a passion that you have outside of work? And how has that impacted your work life? Oh, good question. I love to cook. And I believe that food is love. And I was not always a good cook. And I met my ex-husband studying in Milan. And he came back to the States, to New York eventually with me and was shocked at some of the things that I was actually cooking. And he called his mom back in Milan and said, Pia, you have to send me a cookbook because I'm dying over here. And so he he was very intuitive and self-taught. And she was an incredible Italian mother-in-law, mama, grandma. And she taught me some like incredible basics, like the, her, her ragu, you know, her bolognese is amazing, her meatballs, the lasagna with the bechamel. And so I find that cooking is meditative for me a busy work day and, and all of it. And then I get in the kitchen and it's like looking at the ingredients, smelling the ingredients. I'm very present. I'm very mindful in that space. And I find joy in it. And then again, like stuffing my daughters with food that they love makes me happy. And my home has always been let's get, from the time I lived in Brooklyn and we had a, t- you know, always had very, a lot of friends of diverse cultures and languages and food and around our table and to, to here in, in LA, I find a lot of joy in hosting and gathering people around the table and conversation and breaking bread. And I think there's always been a fluidity between friends and work. I have become very good friends with most of the people that I've worked with. And so it's, no longer, I've, I used to say family, my work family. And I think when you go through many layoffs and you go through having to let go of people that you care about or things that, that it becomes, you, you don't do that to family, right? But um, so, and then we talked about tribe, but it's a team. And, and, but I do think like loving what I work and I put my, I bring my heart and soul to the office and then I bring my people back home. So there's a fluidity of like my friends and family and work, my work people. And recently, I was last year, I was growing the, the Walmart creative leadership team and we're growing and expanding on capabilities. We're meeting together and doing some work. And we decided to do a cooking class for the leadership team as opposed to just go and have a dinner because we were all working remotely when we're getting together. And it was really a great exercise of, okay, you guys are going to do the appetizers. You guys are going to make the pasta. You're going to make the main course. Who's going to make the dessert? We're going to feed each other as we go along. We're going to talk about it. And then we're going to sit at a table together. So very much this cacophony of 
cooking and talking and co-creating and someone's going to be good at something and bring it to the table and then let's enjoy the fruit of our labor. I think it's very connected. That is fantastic. Such a great idea. Now, this is my favorite question that I ask my guests. What is the business expression or jargon or cliche that drives you crazy? There are so many. And I think one of the shockers of going from agency to brand side was corporate speak. And at both Disney and Walmart, I had to have a, an acronym guide to understand what the hell people were saying in meetings and just not knowing what it was. The couple that I think of, one of it's, it's just so ubiquitous is circle back. We're going to circle back on this. And it triggers me to such an extent right now because what it, one of my frustrations about corporate life is so many meetings, so many meetings about meetings, meetings about the meetings, about the work, about the meetings, so much consensus, so much circling. And I remember when I learned the term when I lived in Italy and giro, right? And I'm like, what does that even mean? Giro. It's like, we're going to go out and take a drive, or but it literally means we're going to go make a circle and we're going to circle around something over and over again. And circle back means we're going to circle and we're not going to get shit done. And so I, 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 I would like to ban circle back if possible. That's a great answer. Final question. I call it food for the body or food for the soul. So if you go the body route, a recipe or a drink that you love, or if you go the soul route, you can pick a book, piece of music, song, movie, TV show, painting, sculpture, piece of art, something that you love. Yeah, I already talked about food for the soul. So so uh, the, the food being my love language. So I think the other one is, it's not classic as far as art or literature, but it's nature as far as my happy place is the ocean. And I am at my happiest when I am walking by the ocean. I'm running. I am swimming. I am sailing. I am near water. And I try to practice uh, to see the sunset and see the sunrise. And I have people in my life that, that joke that like, yeah, Jean, we saw the sunset. It's the same sunset as yesterday. And I'm like, it's never the same. It's never the same. It's never the same color. It's never the same cadence or striation or combination. And sometimes it's brilliant and sometimes it's subtle. And it is always a reminder to me this beautiful spiritual reminder to me for my soul to be grateful for another day. And the fact that tomorrow is another chance to do better, to learn, to make the world a better place. And so you get the grace to say, today is done. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. What what am I going to do? And I could do it to infinity. And that's a, Excellent way to stop. Jean, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. If you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews, like Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating or a review. Stick around, because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. 
And remember to go to the episode page of the podcast website, al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. Email me at dino at al4ep.com and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is at al4edp with the letter D. And on Facebook, you can look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, here is a Susan Cattaneo song, Fade to Blue, from her album The Hammer and the Heart. Enjoy! Just fade to blue